Welcome back to our podcast, Capitalize Your Fridays. This is Michael Williams. I'm the founder and president of Altius Financial, and I am joined by my co-host, Taylor Dennis. Hi, everyone. It's Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and Vice President of Altius Financial. It's great to be back in the studio and great to be in town for a little bit. I know, I know I'm kind of it's all It's always over. good to have you in the flesh and here, here in town. Uh, so what is it that we want to talk about today, Taylor? Yeah, so today I'm going to share a little bit about my home buying experience. I, I think many of our clients, friends, family, listeners know that I have purchased a home in the last year, and I thought it'd be kind of a, a good reminder to share where I'm currently living, <laughs> um, and then hopefully a little bit of a comparison. Maybe you can share a bit of your experience compared to what I've had, and then along with kind of giving people a little bit of an outline on who they should be in contact if they're if they're planning to buy a home. So for our listeners who are maybe thinking, hey, this is probably in the near horizon for me. Who of my financial team do I need to get in contact with? Hopefully we'll kind of give you a bit of a list on who to reach out to, what information you need to have ready, and hopefully a little bit of entertainment on my side of the experience for that. That sounds good. I think I think it applies to lots of people. I mean, obviously, home buying decisions are important. It's a big financial commitment, and, and where you live and you know, what your lifestyle is like is important. Renting versus buying, first-time home buyer in your own case, right? Uh, but also yeah. people who've purchased properties in the past. I think everyone can get something out of this. So tell us where the heck are you living right now? Uh, you know, you've moved a couple of times in the last year or so. So Maybe it's worthwhile giving our, our listeners a little bit of an update there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm currently living in Dallas, Texas, and uh, fingers crossed, hoping to stay there for a little bit. Um, before we get too far along, though, how about, how about we just cover our disclaimer and then we can enjoy our, our conversation. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No client advisor relationship is formed by our broadcasting this information or your listening to it. The use of this information or any materials linked to in this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner, or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, please reach out to us at our website, altiusfinancial.com. Or you can reach us directly by email at michael at altiusfinancial.com or taylor at altiusfinancial.com. Perfect. So Taylor, um, tell us a little bit about your own recent move and how you ended up in Dallas. Yeah, so many of our clients know I was recently living in Southern California for about the past calendar year with my husband, Dave, and he had received an opportunity for his work that was really just, I would say, probably too good to pass up. It was a um, machine learning and coding. It's a lot of it's far over my head, but it was something he was very excited about. And so after speaking with him and him receiving this, this job offer, I, as you know, I, I went and spoke with you, Mike, and I, I said, Hey, this, I'm currently doing remote. Is it okay if I do remote in an, in another remote location? Fortunately, you came back and said that, yeah, that, that should be, it shouldn't be much difference for Altius going from California to Texas. I mean, Maybe a little bit easier tax-wise since there aren't taxes there. Um, <laughs> Easy for you to say. I know. <laughs> yeah. So so from that point, we said, okay, let's go ahead. We'll we'll schedule to move in March, and and that will be the plan. Well, and and it's also been great. Lots of our clients who've had more and more experience with your expertise, your personality, your ability to help them with their advice. They're 
they've been flexible and they're they're comfortable making these uh, Zoom virtual meetings. And obviously, uh, we have you back in the office. I mean, it seems like almost once a month that we're having you back here, and that's that's really been fortunate for us and and for our clients. And it's I do want to remind you know existing clients that we really appreciate that, and uh, hopefully they'll continue to be flexible and you know realize the the time that we have is limited, and so oftentimes we're kind of divide and conquer and. Yeah. And they might, you know, have you or me on a remote session, might have us in person. You know, when you're here in person, that's great to yeah. load you up, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, March, why did you end up moving back in December? Yeah. So it, originally we agreed on March. That was kind of the, the timeline that we were told, hey, you can go through the end of your current lease term and we'll let you stay a little bit longer before moving. We'll, we'll do the remote thing for Dave's work as well. There's the phrase, when you make plans, God laughs. And I, I think that was exactly the situation here. Um, we had plans to say, oh, let's let's make the most of California. Let's do some bucket list items and finish off through kind of the spring. And quickly we found ourselves finding and putting an offer on a home sight unseen. So it was, it was a pretty quick adventure for us and a, a very quick turnaround. So what originally was the plan to move in March quickly became a offer in November over Thanksgiving week and an actual close right before Christmas. So it, it was a very quick turnaround. Yeah. And that's, you know, that can be just the way life works. Like you said, you know, sometimes you make a plan and then you have to adjust to the plan yeah. uh, based on other circumstances in, ter- in terms of market conditions or, or you know, in, in the case of Dave's employer or whatever it might be. So tell us in a little more detail what happened. Yeah. So what happened for us was we essentially found a home that was like within the our ideal price range, we were able to put in a, a very low offer relative to what the asking price was. Um, and that came back accepted. And it's interesting because I've gone through this many times with clients where they're purchasing a home and, and I've been on the side of, okay, let's make sure the assets are ready. Let's make sure we can do a wire, get the funds where you need them to be. I've done all of that countless times at this point. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, I know how we do this. You put in an offer, just get the funds where they need to be, you can do it. And and it was interesting going through it as a personal experience to go, oh, wow, there's so much more that goes in on the back end other than just the, the direct financial experience. So for us, it was a, we put in the offer and our timeline went from, okay, well, now, t- and I don't know if this is every state, but Texas has like a one week period. So if you put in an offer, you can just pull back out of that offer without any financial burden. And so at that point we said, well, if we have one week, we need to make sure that this is definitely what we want to do. And within that it was, well, we've never even seen this house. It, we, we saw this on Zillow. It looked like a dream and <laughs> we thought that we'd put an offer in. So we had to fly out to Texas, do a couple tours. I think we did two, three tours that week and then fly back, go ahead, set up. We did a an inspection. So we made sure that they had an inspection, someone come in to make sure that we weren't getting ourselves stuck on something that we would have maybe been a burdensome adventure. Um, yeah. An inspection is basically designed to, you know, make you conscious of all the challenges potentially with the property or make, make sure you don't buy a lemon, right? You, you know, hopefully yeah. something that uh, isn't like a horrible investment, but also to protect you or warn you, forewarn you about you know the potential issues, maintenance issues that are you know, you're gonna have to deal with. Yeah, so we did that, and we also did the appraisal. So all within that one week, which typically I've been informed that usually you do this after the offer, after you've kind of 
once you're in your between the offer and the closing date is usually when you do that, not within this first one week let go period, but we wanted to make sure as, as first time home buyers that we weren't putting ourselves in too much financial burden. One thing to note about the appraisal process that I learned in this through this experience was, and I'm not sure how familiar, maybe it's more just first time home buyer intro to this situation. So if, once you get your appraisal, that determines the amount that you can take your loan on. So if you're buying a house and you say, hey, I, I think it's worth 500000 I'm going to try to buy it for 500000 If they accept that offer and the appraiser comes back and says, nah, that house is worth maybe three, maybe $300,000. you are you are not getting more than that. The loan provider is not going to turn around and say, sure, you could take a loan for a $300,000 property. I'll, I'll give you five hundred. dollars That's just, there's no logic there. Let's slow down a little bit. What you're saying, I think I understand this, having been through it multiple times in the whole appraisal process. But yeah. you know, for those listeners who are just you know kind of contemplating maybe buying their first home, slow down and talk about that process from the standpoint of why, does it, why is it obvious that a lender wouldn't do that? So from the lender's perspective, if, if let's use this exact example. If they're saying, well, you're telling me you're now buying a $300,000 value property. If something goes wrong and you're not paying your mortgage and the bank takes ownership of your home and they need to go ahead and resell it, all they're really going to get out of it is maybe the $300,000 if they're lucky. So there's no way they're going to give you a loan that covers a $500,000 property. They're going to give you a loan that is adequate based on a $300,000 property. So it's that whole idea of skin in the game, right? They want to make yep. sure you have skin in the game along with them. So you're incented to yeah. to make sure that you're there and protect the property and you have some potential loss if things go wrong as well. And that's you know, one of the whole concepts until fairly recently in terms of lending and home buying is to make sure someone has adequate equity up front, you know, they, they have a down payment, they have yep. some money they're putting, they've got skin in the game, so to speak. And another, you know, there's no down payment loans, there's all kinds of no doc loans. Our culture gets into trouble when we start saying, okay, well, we'll just lend to anyone. But the yeah. typical thing is, you know, a bank is trying to protect and, and a lender is trying to protect their own shareholders and their own investment as you are when you're buying a house. And so there's like this concept of making sure everybody has a little bit of incentive, skin in the game, so to speak, to to make sure it goes well. And that's why they wouldn't loan you that much money on a property that isn't worth that according to the more recent appraisals. Yeah, and so this is helpful. So for our listeners, a lot of times we talk about how much money you should have set aside to purchase a home, how much you should have for the down payment, the closing costs, move-in process. Um, and it's helpful to note that, so if if you were in this exact situation and you said, no, we're, we're going forward, we're, we're buying this house, we love this house, the seller's only going to sell it to, to us for 500 regardless of what the appraisal is. At that point, you will have a $200,000 that you have to pay cash before you even start factoring in your 20% down payment on the 300 that it's actually worth. So you're... Which means you're probably renegotiating, right? Yeah, you're I mean, likely renegotiating. If, if the appraisal came back that differently, you'd be saying... And, that, and in yeah. one sense, that's good for you, right? You're saying to the seller, hey, look, it's really not worth what we agreed on. Yeah. You know, I agreed to buy it. You listed it for this. I agreed to buy it at a certain price. But look, it's not worth that. So if we're going to make a deal here, I'm going to have to resubmit my offer. I'm going to get out of this. You're going to have to find a buyer who sees it, you know, in a whole different light. And in a sense, if you still like the property, you may be, you know, shocked that it was appraised for so much less. 
yeah. and therefore asking questions about the real value of it. But if you still yeah. like the property, that's good news for you because now you have more, obviously more negotiation room. Yeah. But so th- that's something just to keep in mind. And, and I know that was a, a large difference. The likelihood is you'd maybe see five, 10,000 up or down, and then you'd have to be prepared to, to front out that those dollars. Right. And that usually happens in, in a different kind of market than we've seen yeah. recently. I mean, that happened in the 2008, 2009 financial crisis when people had been throwing money at real estate appreciation. And then all of a sudden that, you know, that whole dynamic changed and uh, people um, lost money on real estate. And, and so appraisals were coming down and that's, that was more the environment that you're kind of talking about. Yeah, Definitely. And for our home specifically, it was one of those fix and flip type properties. So um, it was hard to understand, well, how are they going to appraise this? Because it's it's got a lot of new features that weren't necessarily in that original property. So, so. that term fix and flip, you're you're referring, I mean, again, yeah. you and I have dealt with this, clients have dealt with it. But, but you know, there's a lot of people out there who maybe don't know what that means. You're saying you bought a house mm-hmm. from someone who had purchased it relatively recently. Yep fix it up some yep. and wanted to flip it, meaning turn it around pretty quickly to sell it to you guys. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that was their business model in terms of saying, okay, we're going to go in to buy this place, fix it up some, and then hopefully have some you know profit margin on top of what we spent to fix it up and then immediately turn it around, flip it to you guys. Yes. Well, so I think we've kind of covered a little bit on, on my initial experience. I think it would be helpful to start, to kind of restart this discussion and say, well, let's look at, who do you need to work with and kind of go through that, then maybe go through the the purchasing process. I know we've already talked a little bit about my timeline and then talk about what those next steps are. So maybe let's let's jump back and just kind of talk about who do you need to work with when you are looking at buying a, a property. And I, I know this can vary person to person. Um, you and I have talked about, well, do you need a realtor on both sides or either side? Do you need a lender or can you pay for ca- for this with cash? But I think just talking about in our experience and then maybe giving people an overview of who we think that they should get involved with in this shopping process. And so I, I would maybe go so far as to say this is your, your home buying team. And I would start with your financial advisor. And I, I know I always talk about the value that Altius and financial advisors provide for their clients. But I, I think it's helpful to start with your financial advisor and say, well, how much can I afford? How will this impact my future financial stability? We're, we're going to release an episode later on this year talking about 1031 exchanges. And so, I mean, is this something where you're trying to do a, some kind of tax benefit on your real estate? Is this a, a rental property or primary property? And, and what are the benefits of buying or selling now or later. So definitely get your financial advisor involved on that discussion. Yeah, that's crucial. And it's it's obviously self-serving for us to say, wait, make sure that you call us first. But that is our role. That's how we view our role. And I think most of our clients see us that way in terms of having like that financial quarterbacking role of saying, we're looking at the big picture here. We're looking at your overall financial circumstances. I mean, the team of people you need to assemble or consult when you're buying a house, you know, obviously need to include certain experts, people who are uh, experts in the f- field of lending or appraisal or, or valuation or, you know, neighborhoods. Or, but our expertise is that big picture, 
How is it going to impact your long-term goals? And obviously, you should be talking to family. You know, anyone who's going to be living in the house, right? You, you yeah. want to you want to see if they if they agree on this is going to make our lives better. We're, we like this place. Um, you know, how far is it from your grandkids or whatever it might be? There's all kinds of you know non-financial impacts that you might have in terms of location and buying a home. But as Taylor said, we do think it's we definitely want to be involved in a home buying decision. And we have lots of experience in terms of telling you what you can afford that's different maybe because uh, our motivation is different than a lender or a realtor. A realtor, you know, they get compensated. If they're really professional and good, they're going to they're gonna help you in the same way. Yeah. But their incentive is to say, uh, let's, let's buy the biggest, best house you can get. Cause yeah, how they, big? <laughs> you know, they get paid uh, commission on the price of the house. And the same thing is true of a lender. They get compensated based on the size of the loan and so forth. So everyone along the way has an incentive to say, you know, just spend more money, borrow more money, spend more money. Ours is a little bit different role in saying, yeah, we want you to be happy, get a bigger, better house, but we also want are thinking 10 years out or, you know, how's that going to impact your ability to save for retirement or for your other goals that you have? So having that balance in place is crucial. Yeah, definitely. But go ahead and talk about the other people. I mean, you know, talk a little bit more about realtors generally uh, and, um, you know, the role of a realtor and your experience with your realtor. Yeah. So, I mean, realtors, you've, you've got the two sides of it. You've got the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. So if you're in the home buying process, you may or may not choose to work with a buyer's agent. This person can kind of help you connect with these other individuals I'm about to list out in a, in a moment, but they'll help you get your inspector. They'll help you um, navigate what type of types of properties are available in the area. They'll maybe give you a better feel for what you're getting out of the area. So in our personal experience, I had not, I'd maybe been to Dallas once, I think, before buying a home in Dallas, which that, now I say it out loud, it's a little terrifying. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I had gone there once for my brother and my sister-in-law's wedding, and that's probably about my sum of experience in Dallas. So buying a home somewhere that you haven't spent a lot of time in, um, Saying it out loud, it might sound like chaos. Yeah, and that's usually yeah. not our advice, right? Yeah. And, uh, it, like, for example, we have lots of clients who, as they move into a retirement lifestyle, they maybe they're finished working and they're, they're changing their uh, location, they think about, okay, I want to move to someplace warmer or, you know, it has a different lifestyle. Yeah. We oftentimes recommend people get familiar with the area. Now, in your own case, it was partly based on, uh, you know, um, your husband's transfer and so forth. So there was a little bit more urgency. And, and I think you felt confident both, both you know, having relatives there and knowing you know, a little bit more about the city. And we have some clients in Dallas. Yeah. And so, but we always do recommend people be planful about it and say, you know, before you make a large purchase, you know, maybe you should go rent there for a little bit or try it out or you know, do more investigation about whether you're going to like it. Yeah, and, and part of our experience was also, and I was going to get down to this, but there's also the employer benefits. So I... I'm fortunate that, as I already said, Mike was open to me moving. My husband, since it was part of a relocation for a job, he had a considerable amount of benefits in purchasing a home. So we had stuff along the lines of movers that were comped for us. We had some of our closing costs were covered for us through his employer. So for us, it was a trade-off of, well, how are we maximizing? If we're looking at doing this in the next calendar year, what is the best way to do this the most cost effectively? And and like you're saying, we already had some family out here. So they, they gave us a little bit of tips. Our realtor gave us some tips. Um, and then we made that trip out and got a, got a feel for ourselves as well. 
But yeah, so realtor, they're going to help you kind of think through the whole picture, help you find properties, help you make navigations or negotiations with the other realtors. So we had a lot of, oh, well, maybe this light bulb needs to be replaced or maybe, I don't know, little things here and there. We had, and now I'm trying to think of the specific discussions. There were some shingles on the roof where we said, hey, the roof's fine. And the inspector said it's fine, but there was a few shingles that should be replaced. And so our realtor was the one who went back and said, well, I'll talk with the seller's agent and make sure we're having those discussions and make sure we get kind of the best deal that we can for you. And so after her work, she kind of, came in and pulled out the best deal that she could for us. She's kind of like our, if you're thinking of a boxing ring, she's the coach on the side kind of saying, I got your back. I'll I'll make sure we do the best that we can. Yeah, I think it's important uh, to talk about realtors in the context of their expertise. And, and, you know, what's interesting is and wonderful about our world now is there's so many great sources of information. And we, you know, I sometimes have used the phrase, democratization or lowering barriers to entry or allowing people to have more information and to be empowered, right? I mean, if you think about all the different, uh, there's now lots of different websites out there that have listing prices of homes and valuations and what you could rent it for, whether they're in a walkable neighborhood, you know, Zillow, Trulia, there's all, okay, Red... Redtail? Redfin. Or Redfin. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a bunch of them out there that, that uh, you know, are really giving people information. Now, sometimes, you know, how good is that information? Does... Does Zillow have the right price, the right valuation on that neighborhood? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're way over. Maybe they're way under. But, but there's there's a lot more information out there, and that that has made realtors like go, okay, well, I'm no longer the keeper of the knowledge, right? And yeah. the same thing is true with us. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of information about, okay, how how do you construct a portfolio? You know, should you be in large cap, small cap? How do you build a investment? Then I think you know this, this is great. I mean, I don't feel like information. And having more access to information for people is ever a bad thing. It means that people need to be more professional in value add, right? Yeah. And the same thing is true with realtors. I mean, a person can decide to have a realtor who's just a, a transaction agent or, as you mentioned, a buyer's agent. That person, if you say, yeah, they are exclusively a buyer's agent, then they are supposed to represent your interests in that deal. The key, key thing to keep in mind is when you're buying a piece of real estate, it's a transaction and that's how they're compensated. So they're really advocating for a deal. Um, they may not be you know, really advocating for you as much as you think they are because they want a, a sale to be made. Yeah. Um, now, if they're good, they're going to be you know, acting as a professional and trying to look out for your interests and, and help you buy what's the perfect fit. But that's kind of the, the way you know, the, the realtor world works. And it's worth mentioning you know, what, what is typical in terms of how you compensate a realtor and I don't know what I don't even know if I know what your experience was in terms of the So it's it was a 3 and 3 for the buyer and seller's agent but that was all paid through the seller. Right. And, and that's, I, I think that's pretty typical to have it all paid through the seller but I would definitely confirm. I think it it kind of goes state by state and even realtor by realtor. So if you're hiring a realtor, you want to make sure you know if you're paying them and what you're paying them. And keep in mind if you're not the one paying them I mean, there nothing is free. We've there's gone no through such this thing so as a free lunch. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. no free lunches. So yeah, and it's important to be to be aware of that. I mean, and and I think it's important also to acknowledge that you know professionals should get paid, yeah. uh, and realtors should get paid, and they they oftentimes really do add a lot of value. But you want to know, okay, what is this three percent for? I, you know, I've heard it at two point eight percent per 
per individual. Uh, that overall six percent is is you know there's pressure on that coming down. Just like you know there might be pressure on our fees and. Uh, I mean, every industry has to adapt and say, okay, how are we adding value and how are we, how are we charging for the services that we're offering? It's just, again, important for people to be aware and also to, to, to realize everything is negotiable, yeah. right? I mean, you have the ability. Now, in acknowledging that, you have to acknowledge that someone may not agree to your terms, you know? Yeah. They, they get uh, that decision. So talk about your experience with uh, uh, the lender. So yeah, then so then the lender is the person who's going to help you set up your mortgage. Um, if you're in a financial position where you don't need a mortgage, maybe you're going to buy this with cash. You might not need a lender at all. But um, for those of you, especially most times first-time home buyers, you're going to be looking at, okay, well, let's find someone who's going to help me finance this mortgage. Uh, we talked earlier about employer benefits, and one of our employer benefits through my husband's work was that they actually connected us with a lender. So we already had that kind of connection and we had someone who kind of handheld us and walked us through, well, here's what we're going to need and here's what it's going to cost at this step. And here is really a timeline of every little detail. And she actually, our lender was, her name was Mary and she did a very good job at, at taking the time to say, let me just walk you through this like you're a two year old. And um, I already knew most of the, the information from my experience in finance, but I think it was helpful for both me and my husband to, to kind of have a recap on, well, what are we signing our names to? Because you, you are signing a lot of documents and you want to make sure you're not just signing your life away on accident. Um, so definitely make sure you have someone that, that you have confidence and trust in. Another thing to note is you're not forced to use any realtor or any given lender. If you don't like what they're offering you, if you don't like the interest rate they're giving you, you can keep shopping and you, and you probably should keep shopping. We did a little bit of shopping and it's funny because my husband's not very much a hippie type person, but he's very much a, (laughs) if he's going to buy something big from someone, he wants to feel like, emotionally confident with that. He wants to feel good about that relationship. And What do you mean by hippie type person? I'm confused about why you bring that up. Well, it, it, it's like a, almost an energy thing. I think you, if you're, if you're feeling connected with someone, if you're feeling like this is a good connection, a good relationship, even if it's someone that you're only having maybe a small in, interaction with, he didn't want to be giving a large payment to someone that he doesn't feel comfortable with. No, I think that's good. I actually think that's true uh, throughout our lives. We want to—that's again the freedom of association, being able to deal with the people that you want, and uh, and having that sort of gut check about you know how do I feel about this person I'm working with? Do I really want them to have that kind of payday? Um, do I, how do I feel about that? Are they adding that kind of value? Am I? Is there a connection there? I think that's crucial um, yeah. for any professional advisor that you're or or salesperson that you're working with or whatever it might be. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, but so some things that you should be doing with the lenders, um, you should note that when they do your credit pull, it's going to be a hard credit pull. So it's going to drop your credit, but you can do as many of those in that one month time period as you would like without it continuing to drop your credit. So if you say, Hey, this lender pulled my credit, I don't feel good about this person. I I really just don't feel comfortable. I I need to change to someone else, or I need to see what the other rates that are going to be offered are. It's perfectly fine to go and try another another lender, another few lenders, and then you'll have a variety to kind of choose from. Yeah, and that whole issue of dropping your credit is is kind of important to pay attention to. You know, your credit score will take a ding if you when you have those hard 
hard looks into it. Uh, and yeah. some lenders, oftentimes lenders will say, we can do a soft one to start with yeah. and it won't have the same impact. But you want to be aware of it, right? Yep. What about inspectors? I mean, you, you mentioned that before, you know, and, and that that's the person. We talked about that a little bit. I don't know if there's anything more you want to say about your personal experience. But most people realize, you know, with that kind of large purchase on things that they may not have expertise on. I don't know how to, you know, really understand whether an air conditioning unit is working or a hot water <laughs> heater is going to go out. So those are the yeah. kinds of things you're asking an inspector to go through and say, okay, this looks like it's in decent shape, should last. I mean, sometimes they'll make a warranty on it. Sometimes they won't, yeah. but at least they're telling you, okay, this thing's, you know, about to die and you're going to have to replace it pretty soon. Or maybe you negotiate, you go back and negotiate with the seller and say, hey, look, you got a hot water heater that's about to go out. You should either replace it or give me a credit. Yeah, so we we came back with a few little items here and there where where we thought, no, this is kind of where we draw the line, and and they ended up recompensating us for for a few items, and then yeah, the same kind of thing. So the the inspector would go through and he'd say, oh well, here's what I'm seeing on this. Here's what I'm measuring as far as like he said foundation. It oh there's some slight where your water's drained. You could probably reallocate that and just move the drain out a little bit and that should solve your problems there. But there's a potential risk for this. And so he kind of listed through everything. That one was harder for me having not lived in state because I wasn't present for the inspection. Um, Dave was there and kind of walked through it with him and discussed it with him. I'm a bit of a control freak, so it may have been better that I wasn't there <laughs> just watching over his shoulder for every step of the way. But, but part of me regrets that I, that I wasn't there to be that, that control freak personality and what would what would be different if you had been there he probably would have hated me yeah <laughs> i would have probably followed him around every step of the way you know, how'd I, you do that what that's that something mean? i definitely i mean it was good that it was dave you know that he was there but uh yeah. i i have seen people buy houses you know uh very expensive properties where they don't they don't attend the inspection i think that's a mistake now obviously the value of your time and you know you're hiring expert yeah. we, that's what we're trying to we're advocating you know hire people who have more expertise than you do that's their job you know, the division of labor, all that kind of stuff. But my personal view is when you're buying a house, you should be there, or at least one of, you know, yeah. one of the people should be there to kind of walk around and hear, uh, you know, not just get a, a, a printed report from the inspector that says, here's what's going right or wrong with the house. But, but here the, you know, okay, this is, you learn about the house. I mean, you learn actually yeah. about, okay, how do you operate the sprinkler system or whatever it might be. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you know, you get a lot of, uh, um, sort of a lesson uh, in your new home from the person who's inspecting it and saying, well, here's my perception of this risk or that risk or how to do this kind of thing. So I think it's important to do that. Yeah, so exactly like, like you're saying, I wish I had maybe made more of an effort to say, no, I need to make sure I'm watching someone turn everything on and off so I know how to turn everything on and off. Right. Because especially, and maybe this is jumping ahead, but in our case, the week of our move-in, we did have a pipe burst because it was a, a freezing temperature situation. And I didn't know how to turn the, the water off or on <laughs> because I, I wasn't there for that. And we're pulling out the sheets going, okay, what did he put on the inspection sheet? I know he went over this and it was fine when we went over it, but we weren't in that moment thinking, oh, I, I definitely needed to learn how to turn a water, <laughs> my household water off. But Yeah, so there's it, a lot of little things like that that people don't. I mean, yeah. you, you know, if you grew up in a more uh, mechanically oriented environment where your your dad or your mom is telling you you know here's how our house works but most people don't they just kind of you know we, we live in a, a a wonderful age where so much of what works around us we don't need to even understand 
Yeah. You know, we just enjoy it. But there's the flip side of, you know, ignorance isn't bliss when you have that kind of emergency, <laughs> right? How do yeah. I turn this off? You know, being able to deal with it. So that's, again, why it's worthwhile to, to have some, you know, experience with the inspector and, and, and doing that. Tell us about your experience with the appraiser. So the appraiser um, was also the same day as the inspector. So I wasn't in for the appraiser. Um, it was just someone that came around, uh, visited the house, did a full walkthrough inside and out, and then um, left and gave us the appraisal value. So we were fortunate our appraisal value came up actually higher than what we had put in as our offer. So we essentially came in with a little bit of equity. Yeah. Yeah, at least based on paper. Yeah, that's yeah. and that's always a, a good circumstances if you know if you have the now again those appraisals that's kind of a moving target as well. They're they're based on market conditions and yep. and comps comparable properties in the neighborhood that they can say okay I can justify this price or not. Um, and you mentioned uh, I think you mentioned some of the benefits that Dave has through his employer. Anything else you want to comment on that? So I think it's worthwhile, and this likely isn't the case for more small businesses. Um, and maybe it is, it just depends on your specific business, but especially if you're working for a larger business or if you're being relocated for your work, definitely check in with your HR team and, and say, Hey, well, what do I get? Do I get any compensation for maybe a hotel room? If there's an overlap between the move date and the move in date, do you get any compensation? Do you get any kind of per diem for food and meals? Do you get, um, travel expenses covered. Do they help you? Like, like, for instance, they helps pay to relocate our dog for us. Um, and so definitely look at, hey, how can I really maximize this? And we've talked multiple times about, well, are you doing things out of a selfish nature? Are you taking the best value for a situation? And, and I think if it's something that they're offering, you should definitely look into it. I, I wouldn't feel guilty for using the benefits that are offered to you. No, no, I agree with that entirely. Um, this has been good. So we've talked about all the different people on the sort of team yeah. in terms of buying a house. And I, I want to make sure that we kind of pl- put a plug in for our ability to help people because we, we try to keep a list of people we can refer to. So not only are we, in our own minds, a, a good resource, a good go-to from a quarterbacking standpoint, big picture standpoint, planning standpoint, but we also keep lists of realtors that we've worked with, lenders, appraisers, inspectors, and so forth. So if a client has that need and says, hey, do you know anybody? I mean, that's one of the things that we really feel like we can add value to. And we also continually want to update those lists if people have you know, handyman that they love or, or you know, somebody they had a great experience with in any walk of life. We like to have that because another one of our clients might be able to use it. And as I mentioned, we've got uh, several good, and we, we in fact we've had a, a one of our lenders, Kim Creon. You know, again, we keep a list of other lenders, but uh, we, we had her on the podcast earlier. Um, so, want to remind people that we we try to be a resource that way. But talk about you know, okay, we've talked about the team and the process some, but yeah. let's kind of wrap this up by by you kind of you know giving us your first time home buyer experience in terms of the process. Yeah, so so looking at kind of the process, I know we've talked a little bit about what I had with that first week time frame, um, and then we talked about how, okay, at that point I was doing the inspection and the appraisal, trying to make sure things were in line before I got locked in. It's helpful to just have a little reminder for all of our listeners that you can put in an offer and you can pull that offer back out. You don't have to go through. If, if you find that, you know, this isn't the right property for me, this is not working, no one is forcing you to buy a property, especially no one is forcing you to spend a considerable amount of your net worth 
into any purchase, especially not a property. That's an important thing because most people don't get educated about contracts. Yep. And contracts are a big part of adult life in America. Yeah. You know, you buy things, you're you're buy, you're doing a purchase contract, and certainly that's the case on a home. When you, so contracts are a big thing, and so there's this term that they use being under contract. So you yep. make an offer. And if it's accepted, that means you're now under contract and there's certain provisions in the contract you have to execute or you don't get your money back. So usually the first part of a contract is, oh, well, I got earnest money. I've got skin in the game. I've yep. made a check to someone's holding on to this check. And if I don't actually do my part, then they might be able to keep that check. So yeah. So you, you're right. You don't, you're not being forced into buy something. But once you commit, once you have an agreement, yeah, we're gonna, we have a deal here as long as all these other provisions uh, working toward a closing date yep. happen, then we'll have a deal that's fully executed. But you know, usually there's some risk to the earnest money up front once you're under contract if you don't do certain things. And yeah, there's all kinds of outs, like you say. I mean, that's part of the inspection. That's part of the appraisal process. That's part of the, you know, doing some research on the ownership and the title, right? You know, if all those things don't fall into place, then you have outs. Yep. But if they do fall into place, then you're now obligated to buy the home. And or else you'd lose your earnest money. And I also want to reiterate, so I, I talked about how we did a few things maybe a little bit earlier. I think oftentimes after you've hit that that contract date and you've locked in the contract, a lot of times then you'll find that's when people are starting to do the home inspection, the house appraisal. Um, once you've paid for things, no one's going to pay you back for that. So so if you say, hey, I did the, I put in my earnest money, I've done my inspection, I did the appraisal, now it's a nightmare. I need out. No one's refunding you any of that, unfortunately. That, that's, that is a skin in the game that you've already put in, um, and you're just not getting it out. It, it's helpful. Unless there's provisions in the contract exactly. for that, and that's the, that's the part. Yeah. You know, uh, when we say everything's negotiable, well, it is as long as someone's willing to negotiate and agree to it. So yeah. you could put terms in there that says, well, if this doesn't go through, then I get a refund on that. And that means yeah. the seller pays that. But that means that they, they're going, well, why would I do that? That's your deal. That's your risk. Um, and so each person, each party in a contract has some risks getting to there. And, and that's where you have to you know, come, to, come to some mutual agreed upon terms that say, okay, here's what we agree to. Now, obviously, most states, and certainly the state of Colorado, my bet is that Texas has a unit, what they call a uniform contract for residential purchase, which means that it's kind of like a template. You know? yeah. Here's all the things that you got to consider and might want to have in there. You can scratch them all out if you want, as long as you guys agree to it. Yeah. You can scratch lots of stuff out. I mean, that, that, that one that you mentioned up front where people can back out according to law within a week. I mean, that's with lots of, you know, like if you buy a car with most dealerships, you have a two or three day window where you can say, ah, I screwed like, up. Uh, I don't want to do this. this. <laughs> you know, I want to do over. Give me a mulligan on this one. Um, yeah. And th those are legal uh, things that the law is imposing on all parties. Um, but certainly within the, the realm of a, a real estate contract, even though there are templates and uniform contracts that the state uses to judge uh, it, you can lot make lots of provisions and changes as, as assuming that you know the other parties will agree to it. Exactly. Yeah, just making sure you're aware that you're not locked in, but the further down you get, the more likely it's going to be more of a financial endeavor that you've already kind of put money into unless you already have that in your contract. Um, so now let's say you're, you've decided, okay, we're going forward. We're going to work our way towards closing. I think it's helpful to note that you're likely going to, and when I say likely going to, unless you don't have a lender, 
you are going to <laughs> have a list of documents that you're going to have to start gathering and regathering for, for your lender. In my case, I had to give them all of these documents and then give them updated versions of all these documents again, leading into closing. And so some things to make sure that you have available or that you're pulling out of your cabinet file. Um, you want to look at multiple years of taxes, your W-2s if you're a W-2 employee, uh, banking and investment statements, any kind of loans that you have. So if you have a student loan, if you have a car loan, if you have credit cards, all of that, that documentation and statements for those loans. Any kind of credit scores that you have, you're going to need to make sure your credit is open on all three platforms, which we've kind of talked about that in previous episodes. You want to have a confirmation of your employment, recent pay stubs, your identification, so maybe your driver's license, um, and your social security number. So at least that that chunk of information they're going to ask you for. So you want to just be prepared to gather it. it. It might take some time. I know I was staying up late at night just trying to pull together all these files. So make sure you're ready for for providing that information. Yeah, and that's that's basic uh, what what we call underwriting. The lender is basically saying, how big a risk is this that this person will not pay our money back? We're loaning them a big chunk of money to buy this house and we want it paid back. We have our own profit motive, our own investors, so we want it paid back. And so we're doing our due diligence to make sure that this person has a good chance of being able to qualify and pay this loan back. Now, I, mean, I mentioned in passing, you know, there, whenever you get a frothy market and or really low interest rates or a manipulated economy that I kind of talk about sometimes, yeah, um, you, you can have a situation where there there's the incentives in place to just keep loaning money, and they have had what they call no doc, no document loans, basically saying we're not going to ask for all that stuff. We love you, and we're going to loan you the money. That's terrifying. <laughs> it is bad, and it, that's not t- common, but yeah. there are times when there's the incentives are in place to do that, and that's usually a sign of a not-so-healthy marketplace because you know when you have incentives like that that basically says, don't worry about it, you know, forget it, but you don't have to do any due diligence or underwriting, or you don't have to qualify this person. But more often than not, like you say, if you're borrowing money, they're going to want to know that, they're, you know, that their money is going to get paid back. And that's the risk uh, mitigation that they're doing by you know, having you provide all that information that says, yeah, I, I'm a good citizen and I'm a good, I've got employment income and I'm going to be, I can afford this house and I, can, and I have the character to, to be able to pay it back. Yeah. Um, and then my next caveat, which I think we've all heard this many times before, but if you haven't, it's helpful to note. If you're in the process of you put in an offer and now you're working towards closing, now is not the time to buy a new car, open a credit card, try to buy another new house. Um, it's not the time to quit your job or change jobs. <laughs> um, you want to make sure everything going into the offer, that is, that's where you're at financially. Nothing's going to change until after you're done with that closing paperwork because any kinds of financial changes could make you subject to losing your loan. Your lender could say, no, this person's risky. I don't need to do that anymore. So do not make any changes leading up to, to your closing date. This is also a time where you're going to look at getting like your homeowner's insurance, um, making sure that you have those kinds of policies in place, possibly looking at any kind of taxes if you're selling another property, possibly speaking with your tax accountant, and then learning about what you need for your specific area. In Texas, we have something called the homestead exemption. Um, it's basically our location has considerably higher property taxes, likely because we have zero state income tax 
I mean, the, the government's got to get it one way or the other. And you, you can file for an exemption on some of those taxes as long as this is your primary residence. So check what your local area offers and what kinds of different benefits you need to be applying for. And then once again, make sure you're reaching out to your financial team. So this is another good time to say, hey, if you hadn't already reached out to your financial advisor, if you hadn't already reached out to our team, now's a good time to say, hey, Mike, hi, hey, Taylor, I'm looking at buying this house. That There's a good opportunity for me to purchase. What are we looking at as far as pulling out money from my account? Likely you're going to be looking at, well, is this um, local savings that you have in your bank or are we pulling this out of one of your investment accounts? Then you're looking at, well, what, what kind of investment account are you pulling money from to make this purchase? Is this a pre-tax account where you need to pull pull it out and pay taxes on it? Is it a, a joint individual trust, one of those types of accounts where a capital gains type tax account? Do you need to make any trades in order to have the funds available for this this large purchase? Is this a pull out for a for, from a 401k? I think there's been some confusion with some people I've spoken with recently. Um, so if you're a first-time home buyer, there is a first-time home buyer exclusion for IRA, an IRA withdrawal. And now let me entirely rephrase that so you're everyone is clear and on the same page. If you currently have a pre-tax IRA or SEP IRA type account, you can pull up to $10,000 out of that account and use it towards a first-time home buy, home purchase. Now, that does not mean that anything has changed on the taxability. You will be paying taxes on that. So whatever your tax bracket is, you're going to be paying taxes on that $10,000. You will not be paying that additional 15% early withdrawal penalty. So that that's the only thing you're getting out of if you decide to make that decision. Now, if you're a current employee and it's in a 401k account or a current employer account, that 10,000 rule does not apply. So I want to make sure everyone's clear. If you decide to pull out your 401k, all some 10,000, however much, you will be paying ordinary income taxes in addition to a 15% penalty. So if you're trying to figure out how to pull together the correct assets, definitely this is where I say talking to your financial team is a great opportunity to say, let's not make the wrong decisions on what we're doing with getting the right assets at the right tax price. Yeah, and I think that's I think that points to the the big picture advice that we've been giving uh, across the board. Um, make sure you're making planful, informed decisions, and that's partly our role. Anything else you want to wrap up with as far as this whole idea of of uh, kind of sharing your own experience and and making sure people realize that the first time home buyer or any kind of home buying purchase uh, is can be complex, can be really really exciting and great, uh, yeah. but but there are pitfalls. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, so just kind of summing it up, I we talked about the financial team, so kind of a recap on that. Make sure you're checking in with a financial advisor, possible realtor, possible lender, inspector, appraiser, employer, um, and then also any insurance and tax representatives that you're working with as well. Um, I hope you enjoyed kind of hearing my personal experience and, and a typical experience on what that closing or getting to closing process entails. I do also want to add, um, make sure you're planning for other expenses. So if I, I don't want to take too much of our time. I know we've, we've gone for a little bit today, but um, I shared about my, my plumbing issues with the pipe bursting. I've shared with Mike recently about us having some heat waves and our AC going out. 
if you're thinking that buying a home is going to be a cheap opportunity or a way to save money, definitely look at the whole grand picture of things because going from a renter where the current landlord is the one that's on the hook for paying for anything that gets broken to being the owner who has to now pay for furnishings, repairs, improvements, updates, painting, just general maintenance, that all falls on you as the as the new homeowner. And you want to make sure you have the liquidity for not only the initial purchase, but also the ongoing maintenance and preservation of that property. Yeah, that's that's really important to remind people about. There's that whole concept of carrying costs. You know, what is the ongoing cost? Not just the upfront, can I afford to put a down payment and qualify for a loan, but what does it realistically take to maintain the property? And, you know, there's all kinds of benefits to owning your own property, but there's also... You know, ownership does have uh, the other side. You own not only the upside, but you own the downside. You yep. own the oh, okay. Now I got to have this repaired. I got I got to pay for somebody to maintain this. I got to you know, there's ongoing carrying costs that people need to be aware of, and and we think we do a particularly good job of making people aware of those and and having a plan for dealing with them uh, in the context of an overall plan. Yeah, it's it's almost a marriage of sorts. It's for better or for worse. <laughs> Yeah. So I I hope this was enjoyable for everyone. I hope you maybe learned a little something um, from our discussion and hopefully maybe it was a little entertaining to kind of hear my personal experience. Hopefully everyone's on the same page. I am currently in Dallas and knock on wood staying there for for quite a bit now. And um, if not coming back to Colorado, let's add a plug there. (laughs) That's right. Let's put that plug in. And you're here, you're here frequently and remind people that you're available both in person and on Zoom. So uh, once again, uh, we want people to capitalize their Fridays, have a great weekend, go into the weekend strong, and let us know if you like this episode or our podcast generally. We're open to new topics, new discussions. We're always uh, asking our clients what they want to hear us talk about. So if you have suggestions, please let us know and uh, have a fantastic weekend. Thanks, everyone. 